Welcome to Drivers, the first call's inside look at what's driving the golf business. This is John Lass, president of Sports and Leisure Research Group, and while golf has certainly enjoyed a strong upswing in participation and interest over recent years, the business has certainly not been without its challenges. Increased golf course maintenance costs, heightened environmental sensitivity, and water usage issues have put the pressure on golf course architects and superintendents to adapt and shift their focus to meet these realities. I still remember my penchant for doodling golf holes in my notebooks without any regard for cost or feasibility, and I'm happy to say that our guest today has, has certainly eclipsed that with an incredible career that has seen him rise to the presidency of the American Society of Golf Course Architects. I'm pleased to welcome Britt Stenson to Drivers. Great to have you here, Britt. Thank you. Very pleased to be here. I know, Britt, you've enjoyed a really fascinating career arc that includes the design and construction management of several tournament players club courses, as well as 25 years at IMG working in tandem with many high profile clients. Perhaps we could start today by you uh, giving our listeners a little bit of insight into what led to your career path and more of some of the more fascinating projects that you've had the pleasure of working on over your career. Gladly, sure. I, you know, I think my path was more uh, circuitous than an arc, actually, it kind of and turned on as things do in life, uh, a lot of times on some pretty small coincidental events. It started in high school when I decided to give golf a try. My parents were country club golfers, but I had shown little interest until my 15th summer. But that summer, I was immediately hooked and played almost every day that summer. I took a few lessons and really got into the game. That fall, I found in our dusty old library in high school, uh, a copy of George Thomas's Golf Architecture in America from 1927. And, you know, the photos and the drawings kind of just blew me away. And I thought, wow, I, I wouldn't mind giving this a try. But I, of course, knew nothing about what was involved with doing that. But I did go to the University of Virginia School of Architecture. There, they had a landscape architecture program. And I played on the golf team there for four years, something I couldn't do today for sure. But uh, by the time I graduated, I was cooling on golf, and I was more into land planning and environmental issues, and I also joined a bluegrass band uh, playing the banjo, so golf definitely went on the back burner, uh, but several years later, the banjo went on the back burner, and I was back to playing golf and was working as a landscape architect in the D.C. area. Our client was working with the PGA Tour to create the TPC at Avenel. And I was in charge of the master plan for the residential community around the course. I was hired by the tour as the project manager for the course construction and spent two years in a construction trailer in the dirt learning how a golf course gets built. From there, the tour moved me to Ponte Vedra as director of construction for several more TPC courses. And eventually the tour let Bobby Weed and me design a few TPCs. Uh, in 1990, this is the really small coincidental event. I was in a mini reunion of, of some UVA guys, one of whom was Bob Kane, who worked in the tennis division at IMG, the big sports management company founded by Mark McCormick here in Cleveland. He told me that IMG was looking for an in-house golf course architect to work with some of their golf clients, especially Nick Faldo and Greg Norman, who wanted to get into the business. I'm still not sure why they selected someone with as little actual golf course design experience as I had, but over the next 25 years, I designed 75 new courses with 22 of IMG's golf pros. Most of the work was in Asia, about 90, 95% of the work was in Asia. 
it was an amazing opportunity that really only happened because of that mini reunion. If I hadn't been there at that reunion, I never would have even known about IMG's need for a, an in-house architect. We worked all over Asia, following the growth of golf in over a dozen countries. I'd say one of my most unusual projects was on a small island off the coast of Mauritius out in the middle of the Indian Ocean called Elo Surf. I did it with Bernhard Langer. Uh, golfers take a boat from the hotel on the mainland to the island, which is just big enough for an 18-hole golf course and a topless beach. <laughs> you can see the ocean from every hole, but really we worked on an incredible range of properties from flat and wet to steep and rocky and plenty of good sites in between. And those experiences helped me when I had the opportunity to work with Mark O'Meara and Nick Faldo on a couple of courses in Muskoka, about two hours north of Toronto with its beautiful granite rock outcrops, lakes, and wetlands. So my path didn't follow the normal apprenticeship with an established architect, but I kind of came in the side door at a pretty high level. Uh, I think the lesson is that when faced with an open door of opportunity, you walk on through and don't look back too much. Fascinating, fascinating experience for sure. And it, it, it's a fascinating time also today uh, for golf course architects overall. Um, we've conducted a, a fair amount of research for the ASGCA at Sports and Leisure Research Group oh, over the years. And some of our other industry work of late has have all shown that uh, today is a time where facility owners and operators are, are really beginning to aggressively pursue a number of long needed capital projects, which has certainly, I assume, been, been great for the business. Um, we've seen in particular a lot of master planning increases with a real emphasis on sustainability and reduction of irrigated acreage. And I know that that's been a real cornerstone of your design philosophy. Why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about that? Well, you're certainly right that our, our members are busy. Uh, lots of renovation work going on. COVID was a, a driver to that to a certain extent because it was something that you could do to play golf. And so rounds are up and our our Members are very busy, but uh, toward the minimal, uh, to the minimalist thing, um, I you know, personally just love the early phase of the design process, uh, especially on a good or even a decent piece of ground. Routing the course to take full advantage of the natural topography and drainage is fascinating to me and really fun. And then visualizing the details of each hole in the initial grading plans those two first phases are the best for me. There are certainly sites that need lots of fixing. And believe me, at IMG, we didn't turn down work for our pros because the site wasn't perfect. Uh, but for good sites, I think it's best to let the land do most of the talking and take a minimalist approach. That's what the Golden Age architects did. They were so good at it because they had to be. I think we as an industry went through a period not that long ago when some architects had a look what I can do attitude uh, aided by modern construction equipment and maybe golf course rankings. But in more recent years, thankfully, the trend seems to be more minimalist and hopefully more sustainable. We've moved away from wall-to-wall, -wall, highly maintained turf towards the use of more native plant materials. That means less water, less chemicals, less fertilizers. We have to keep sustainability in the forefront of our design work. Other allied suppliers are helping as well with new turf varieties, new irrigation efficiencies, new soil amendments. That's also why I, for one, think the governing body should do more about limiting the ball's performance. It's hard to justify building bigger and bigger golf courses to deal with the ever longer golf ball. 
So I, uh, I see minimalist design and uh, sustainability as two very important objectives for our design profession these days. Yeah, it's 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 interesting to see that you know both professionally and personally out there. I I, I go back and remember a conference that I attended during my days at Golf Digest out at uh, Arbor Links in Nebraska City, Nebraska, where part of the program. I know we had done a study on golf and the environment and people, you know, golfers perspectives on that. But I remember having a naturalist take us around uh, the, the layout and just kind of show us the different sensitivities to that. Um, the ASG, that was probably the first time I, I actually had the opportunity to, to meet some of the folks at ASGCA. And certainly the organization has evolved quite a bit since then. As president, tell me a little bit about how the organization has set itself up and its members to, to kind of lead the way in evolving uh, this this new philosophy, if you will, or this increased emphasis on this philosophy for course design in the years ahead? You know, we, we are an old uh, society. Uh, it was founded by 14 members, uh, architects in 1947. So we just enjoyed our 75th year last year. Uh, and the founders included real giants of the profession, Donald Ross, Robert Trent Jones, Perry Maxwell, Stanley Thompson, among others. Uh, and now we're 172 members who have worked on an average of 29 years as an architect and who have worked on 92 different countries around the world. So I'm truly honored to be president of this society. Um, you know, our mission's pretty much the same as it's been from the very start, fostering the game of golf, its growth and advancement, fostering professionalism of our members through education, promotion, and fellowship. And that's really what a lot of your questions about was uh, we do a lot of sharing of uh, information and technique and approaches uh, in our annual meetings and through our publications. Uh, we support design excellence by creating golf courses that are technically, strategically, and aesthetically excellent while meeting the economic, environmental, and other needs for golf course owners, developers, and communities. Uh, and we expand opportunities for our members to better serve their clients in the game of golf. I think the, the really interesting thing is how much we uh, share with each other. We're competitors after all, but there's a lot of camaraderie and a lot of sharing of, of techniques and approaches to design. And that's, uh, and, and sustainability is foremost in our discussions these days. No question about it. Uh, in fact, there are a lot of uh, publications that can be found on the ASGCA website that anybody can access, and they're free, uh, dealing with environmental concerns, water usage, fertilizers, you name it, uh, handicap access to golf courses, that kind of thing. So people should feel free to check out the website and, and check out those publications. It's 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 certainly great to to know that that's out there uh, again as, as as an armchair architect if I can call myself that you know, it's always been fascinating to get behind a lot of you know what I can in terms of, of what you all do I I remember reading some of the seminal books from Jeffrey Cornish about golf course design when I was a, a young man and, and and here I am today you know fortunate enough to to research the industry. We're, we're, we're just about at the end of our allotted time, but before I let you go, Britt, I, I do want to have you elaborate a little bit further on something you referenced a, a few moments ago, and, and that's about a design challenge that really goes with the, the duality, if you will, of, of T-box placement. 
we, we certainly we've done a lot of we've been fortunate enough to do a lot of work around that with the USGA and others. And certainly we've seen how the game's elite players have continued to increase their distance off the tee. But yet at the same time, the average recreational player is still playing a course that's far too long for their ability. We've, we've demonstrated that as well. What's your perspective on on how golf course architects can address this while still maintaining you know shot values for the best players in the game? You know, I think it's another area where great progress has been made in recent years, and you just referenced some of that, and where our members are at the forefront. Uh, you know, I certainly remember the old courses uh, where the back tees and the forward tees were about 15 or 20 yards apart, which made it kind of ridiculous for uh, older golfers, women golfers, that, uh, you know, a lot, of, a lot of times the women's scorecard was a par 78 or 76, because they just couldn't reach these holes. So through a lot of empirical research that you referenced, uh, things like the Long Leap Initiative that some of our members got involved with, uh, our understanding of tee placement and the distance between back and forward tees has grown dramatically. Uh, now it's not unusual to have 100, 150 yards between the back tees and the forward tees, uh, depending on the type of hole, the, the par on the hole. And for golfers to have five or six sets of tees to play from, so they can customize where they're playing depending on their abilities. You know, I play with a lot of senior golfers these days because I'm a senior golfer. And for the most part, I find they're pretty eager to move up. Uh, it's more fun to play from a forward position than it is to be hitting three woods and wedges as your second and third shots into par fours. So uh, I think it's another, and frankly, I think it's another reason that they ought to roll the ball dynamics back a little bit because we do have all these options to play and, uh, we've got very forgiving club design and they ought to really be, uh, reining in the ball and let us decide where we want to play so that we're hitting the kind of second shots that we want to hit. Uh, but you know, it's, it, our members are very good at, uh, not just throwing a tee down in the middle of the fairway and calling that a tee. You've got to really think about where those tees need to be, what the carry is, what the obstacles are. Um, but uh, I, th I think that's our members take it very seriously now. Yeah, it's 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 good to see, you know, having been in the game as as, as long as we both have, that that that's finally being acknowledged. And reluctantly, as 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 I get older and, and and playing with my dad all my life, and and he, you know, has gotten up there in age and kind of forced me to move up a little bit with him. And you're right, it was it was it was so much fun to to kind of be able to hit wedges and nine irons into par fours as opposed yep. to hitting hybrids or, or longer irons. So it's 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 wonderful to see that that is kind of impacting a lot of what you and your colleagues in the society are, are, are bringing forth to a lot of the renovation work being done across the country today. Yeah, absolutely. It's been great having you on. Um, we could, as I always say at the end of, of an episode of Drivers, we could probably talk for an hour, but we value everybody's time and hope you enjoyed uh, a little bit of an inside look, uh, listeners, in terms of what the ASGCA is doing. And uh, Britt, thanks so much for being a part of Drivers, and we will see everybody next time. All right. Thank you, John. I really enjoyed it.